Throughout medical history, countless diseases have been diagnosed, treated, and prevented over time. Unfortunately, far too many diseases have no known means for effectively treating them, much less preventing them from occurring in the first place. What we do know is that the need is great for finding a better understanding of what influences our genetics, as well as our environmental and lifestyle choices have on diseases. But how? One solution being explored is precision medicine. So, what is it? Precision medicine is really harvesting the power of technologies and try to understand disease even in a more granular and more detailed level than what we've done before. We are trying to tailor medicine to each individual's unique genomic background, environmental background, family background, behavioral background. Precision medicine is understanding a person and how they respond to medications and how they respond to their disease and tailoring treatment to that individual response. It's developing an individualized treatment plan. Find out what precision medicine can mean for you. And later on, you'll hear about a first in the medical world involving precision medicine from right here in our community. It's all next inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. It's a new year and I'm your new host, Brian Belmer. I look forward to spending the next half hour with you as we discover together, today and on each show. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you monthly by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, the Medical College of Wisconsin, plus Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all institutions in advancing biomedical research as well as finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more cost-effective than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. In January of 2015, during his annual State of the Union Address, President Barack Obama cast the vision for his administration's support of a bold new initiative designed to revolutionize how our medical industry improves our health and treats diseases. I want the country that eliminated polio and mapped the human genome to lead a new era of medicine, one that delivers the right treatment at the right time. In some patients with cystic fibrosis, this approach has reversed a disease once thought unstoppable. So tonight I'm launching a new precision medicine initiative to bring us closer to curing diseases like cancer and diabetes and to give all of us access to the personalized information we need to keep ourselves and our families healthier. We can do this. He touched on it again in his 2016 State of the Union address just this week. And with that, President Obama's 2016 fiscal budget calls for $215 million in support for the Precision Medicine Initiative, or PMI. This groundbreaking initiative is designed to accelerate biomedical research and discoveries, providing better tools, information, and therapies in determining which treatments work best for individual patients. 
Thanks to the breakthrough of having completely sequenced the human genome, medical science now understands the health needs of individuals based on their unique DNA makeup better than ever and hopefully can custom tailor new and highly effective care in treating them. In short, precision medicine is personalized treatment for the unique needs of people or, as some have put it, the right treatment for the right person at the right time. Determined to make significant advancements in medicine and healthcare happen in our country, President Obama has tasked the National Institutes of Health in Washington, D.C. with bringing the Precision Medicine Initiative to life. Under the leadership of Director Dr. Francis Collins, the NIH is working diligently to do just that. Courtesy of the National Institutes of Health, we're able to share some of the vision and goals of the Precision Medicine Initiative from Dr. Collins himself. First, he readily acknowledges just how important the Precision Medicine Initiative is for everyone, up to and including our president. It does seem that we have been given an amazing charge by somebody who is deeply convinced that this is uh, one of the most important scientific enterprises that can happen right now during his administration. And I can certainly vouch for that as well, having the chance uh, to speak with the president several times over the course of the last year about this and sensing his growing enthusiasm. And he adds that now is absolutely the right time for the Precision Medicine Initiative. So the time is right, I think, uh, to say uh, that this uh, initiative could come together. It maybe hasn't been right until now in the United States. Between the advances in scientific knowledge, the advances in technology and computing, and certainly electronic health records, Americans' growing desire to be partners in research, a very critical part of why I think this is the right time. Through the NIH's work on the PMI, important near-term and longer-term goals are in place to ensure that precision medicine has immediate, rapid, and sustained growth into the future. At the top of the list for near-term goals is an increased focus on using precision medicine in the diagnosis, treatment, and one-day cure for cancer. I'm actually very happy the way in which this has emerged as both a near-term and a longer-term component to this. The understanding of cancer on the basis of advances in genomics has come a long way and yet is poised for the next leap in terms of scaling up the enterprise and hence it would be really a terribly unfortunate thing to leave out the opportunity to push forward cancer as a near-term part of the Precision Medicine Initiative. It is closest to the clinic and we should grab onto it and embrace it and utilize this as a real success story that can get even more successful with this kind of additional push. And at the top of the list of longer-term goals is the creation of an unprecedented database of over one million volunteers willing to share their DNA and other medical information in the interest of fueling Precision Medicine's ongoing progress. And here the idea is nothing less than to generate a knowledge base that will be needed to move Precision Medicine into the whole range of health and disease. And that then leads us to uh, this opportunity to develop a national research cohort. Uh, we are saying that this should be a million. I actually am hoping it might be more. We envision this as the national study of health. Who wouldn't want to be part of this? They'll be able to share their genomic data, their lifestyle information, their biological samples. Uh, this will provide scientists with a ready platform for things that we cannot currently do, at least not at this kind of scale. So patient partnerships will be part of this, uh, electronic health records, technologies, genomic uh, information, huge challenges, therefore, in terms of the data sets that will be generated. This is going to require huge investments to make sure that we come up with the right structures and the ability to mine them. So let's just say 
someone commits to participating in the NIH's Precision Medicine Initiative database, what might participation look like? Dr. Collins shares his vision in a hypothetical case from the not-too-distant future. This is a hypothetical case of a 50-year-old woman who has type 2 diabetes. She might visit her doctor and learn, as many diabetics do, that glucose control has been suboptimal. Two years from now, this national research network is up and going. She decides to participate in this. Uh, a sample of her DNA, along with health information, is uh, derived. So after a bit of analysis, she... Uh, is approached by researchers to see if she's interested in a particular kind of monitoring of glucose levels, uh, sending those signals uh, to her watch and to researchers' computers. Five years from now, new therapeutics are coming along for type 2 diabetes, and there's a new drug uh, which uh, she is interested in trying out. And in fact, when she enters that drug's name into her smartphone, her genomic data, which she has access to, uh, shows that she's a slow metabolizer, and therefore she shouldn't get the full dose. She ought to get an altered dose, and that's what gets done. I know this is hypothetical, but it's not out of the range, I think, of what we might aspire to. Our thanks to the National Institutes of Health and Director Francis Collins for providing this fascinating look at what could be our new normal very soon. To learn more, we spoke with three local doctors who shared their insights and perspectives on the present and future of precision medicine. First, we spoke with Dr. Ulrich Brickell, Professor of Pediatrics and Chief Section of Genomic Pediatrics at Medical College of Wisconsin, who tells us that doctors have always tried to be precise. However, today, there's a whole new depth of understanding. We always strive to be very precise in, in, in the way how we diagnose disease, right? I mean, so from that point, that's certainly not really novel. I mean, if you want to prevent a disease or if you want to treat a patient, you really have to understand the, the disease and you have to understand it as good as you can because that's really builds the foundation of treating a patient and preventing disease. So ultimately, I think what we can expect from precision medicine is even a more refined way to categorize a disease. Um, and if we understand the disease better, obviously that should lead and will lead to improved treatments. Maybe we can tailor the drugs we use better to the specific disease of a patient. And as we understand, for example, in terms of prevention, if we um, try to better understand each individual's risk for a disease and, and what triggers a disease or what environmental factors contribute to this, we can certainly prevent the disease better. In pediatric medicine, his area of expertise, Dr. Brickell tells us that although the initial focus has been on cancer, precision medicine will increase our ability to focus on other diseases as well. Some areas might advance a little bit faster than others. Cancer is a very uh, good example and in, in some ways I think cancer has been on the forefront, pediatric and adult disease. I, I think it shouldn't be too surprising that cancer really has been one of the areas where this advances. I, I would see a, a huge opportunity for example also in autoimmune disease, um, immunological diseases. I think you know as we understand the immune system more, um, I think that is a huge area. But I also wouldn't exclude for example cardiovascular diseases and metabolic diseases as well as we really try to better understand alterations which come for example um, in patients with diabetes understand better the risk for diabetes and detect children with diabetes earlier we have some initiatives at our institution we also spoke with dr. Jeffrey Whittle a doctor of internal medicine at the Zablocki VA Medical Center and professor at Medical College of Wisconsin Dr. Whittle hopes that with the complete mapping of the human genome precision medicine will result in better targeting of diagnoses, treatments, and preventions of diseases. 
Well, I think that precision medicine has a lot of potential, so I'm being speculative. But I think in the first place we'll see is that there'll be much more targeting that starts with prevention. So some people will be seen at much higher risk for a condition and may be appropriate for very intensive monitoring, say one of the cancers, breast cancer being a very common disease people are familiar with. Uh, somebody who was currently targeted for every other year mammography uh, might be somebody who should get mammography every six months, whereas some people we may see that it's probably safe to let that person go five years in between studies. And so the ability to target how often you screen somebody will be one value. Second, as we treat things, particularly when we use drugs, we'll have two benefits. First, there are some people who have bad reactions to drugs that are predictable if we knew the factors that influence whether or not they have those reactions. Right now, we don't have very good tools for that. For a very few drugs, we can say if you have this genetic marker, then you're unlikely to be able to tolerate the medicine. You should either take a much reduced dose or you should take a different medicine. In the era of precision medicine, that will become more and more common. So more and more often, the doctor who's prescribing your medication, which might be a blood pressure medicine or a cholesterol medicine, will be able to look at your genomic profile and say, oh, you're somebody who's probably going to respond well to this medication as opposed to that medication, or somebody who's going to have a bad reaction if you take this medication, we should stay away from it. So both by avoiding the adverse drug reactions and by being able to find the more effective therapy for a specific condition, precision medicine will hopefully make people receive more accurate and more helpful therapy. We asked Dr. Whittle if there are diseases commonly diagnosed and treated among veterans at the Zablocki VA where he practices that could benefit most from precision medicine. Medicine. In the VA, because we enroll people at an age in which mental illness is one of the common problems that people encounter, so young adults who join the military and then come out, uh, some of the people who are in our system the longest are people who have uh, mental conditions. Today, we think a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, and I think people say, well, that's something that happens because of the degree of stress that you went through during your period of service. But in fact, there are people who go through uh, more or less similar degrees of stress, one of which will develop very serious post-traumatic stress disorder disorder and somebody else who will not develop any symptoms at all. And the ability to identify the people who are at higher and lower risk may allow the military to do things during training that reduce the risk for those soldiers who are going to be at highest risk. Some of the other medical conditions that are common, schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder, depression, we oftentimes think of those as a single diagnosis. But I think that most experts in the field would say probably it's not one condition. It's probably several different conditions that look the same to us with precision medicine will be able to identify subtypes of those conditions. And hopefully by doing that, that will allow us to develop therapies that are effective, not just for a fraction of the patients with the condition, but really a large number of the patients that have those conditions. Next, we caught up with Dr. Gilbert White, Executive Vice President for Research at Blood Center of Wisconsin and Professor at Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. White agrees that precision medicine is a great approach, but he's quick to point out that it's not exactly an entirely new one. I think we already do precision medicine in some areas. Cancer treatment over the past 10, 15, 20 years has become more individualized. Uh, as we've understood the human genome, we've developed some approaches that are based on genetics. We know that drug responses are dependent upon genetic factors and understanding those genetic factors enables us to tailor drugs. So it's already happening. It's been happening. But I think it's gathering momentum. I think it will have profound changes on how we treat various diseases. But I think it is going to have an impact and it's going to be for the better. And while he doesn't view precision medicine as necessarily a new thing, 
Dr. White says he does see more examples of it in the diagnostic work and research conducted at Blood Center of Wisconsin. I do. Anytime we treat patients with blood thinners, we have the option of using genetic data, if available, to tailor that treatment. Uh, Diagnostically, having genetic information enables us to diagnose proper treatment regimens. We have a diagnostic lab that does uh, cancer genetics. We have a diagnostic lab that does genetic diagnosis of various blood diseases. Even in the area of transfusion and hematology, which are our areas of interest at the blood center, molecular medicine and uh, genetic information is helping us to develop new ways of treating patients and new approaches to therapy. Now, earlier, we heard about the National Institutes of Health's monumental task of building a massive national database as a primary longer-term goal of the Precision Medicine Initiative. Again, the NIH hopes to get over a million people's genomes and other medical information in this database. But is such a large number of participants absolutely necessary? Dr. Ulrich Brickell believes it is. To really understand and have the power to really understand these markers and these tests, we need really large numbers because if you only study a very small number of patients, you don't really have the power to determine the impact of these tests and and precision medicine. So it's absolutely critical that we have a large cohort of individuals who agree to donate their time and material to research. So this is absolutely important that we have just a statistical power to really understand and determine the impact of precision medicine. Dr. Jeffrey Whittle also believes that the NIH's database can speed up precision medicine's effectiveness in diagnosing, treating, and preventing both rare and common diseases. We've been able to find examples of genes that predict diseases for many years in some rare conditions like cystic fibrosis. But what the Precision Medicine Initiative hopes to do is to help us do a better job with very common conditions, things like diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension, where we know that it's not one gene that causes the problem. And so by enrolling a large, large number of participants who are willing to be in a study, you'll be able to look at the genetic factors that increase the risk of things like diabetes by 20% or by 25%. And then by identifying a number of those factors, be able to make a fair amount of useful information available to patients and their doctors in terms of what they're at risk for. And what could the national database mean for our community on a more local level. Individuals here in Milwaukee and and really throughout southeastern Wisconsin and the rest of the state will have the opportunity to actually volunteer for this type of study. Individuals across the country will be able to put their names forward as people who are interested in this project and then would be contacted and be allowed to donate a sample of blood, perhaps a swab from inside of the mouth that would include some cells, perhaps a urine sample, and give some medical history. And that would make them potential participants in this precision medicine cohort. Another thing that's of local interest is that the NIH is planning to fund just seven locations around the country that would contribute extra numbers of people to this initiative. The Medical College of Wisconsin, the medical systems associated with the UW-Madison and the Marshfield Clinic System have uh, gotten together and will be using combined medical records to try to find folks that are willing to participate in this precision medicine initiative. Meanwhile, Dr. Gilbert White says it's important to keep in mind that, at the heart of it, the Precision Medicine Initiative and the database hoped as a result of it isn't a national, a regional, or even a local thing. It's really an 
individual thing. It's not even local. It's individual. It's people that participate in this, and this is only the first of many studies that will be done, but people who come to understand what their genome is and how it affects their disease and their response to treatment are going to benefit. So if you have your genome done and I don't have my genome done, having your genome done doesn't help me. Uh, I've got to have my genome done because my genome's different from your genome. So I, I don't look at it as a regional or a local thing. I look at it as an individual thing. That's what it is. One major concern in building such an enormous database of a million people's genomes and other highly personal medical information is the protection of each individual's privacy. But is the concern warranted? Dr. White says precision medicine shows us that just as treatment is as unique as the individual, so is trust. I think that's as individual a response as response to treatment is. Sure, I think there's some people that will say, this isn't for me. And of course, if you're not sick, some people will say, well, why do I want to know this anyway? I'm not sick. I don't need treatment. I think it's all going to depend on how a person looks at it. If you look back 50 to 75 to 100 years from now, there won't be any question about it. Everybody will have their genetic diagnosis done, and it'll be secure information, and it'll be used to help that individual. And I think it is the way we will practice medicine in the future. Dr. Ulrich Burkell. I'm glad that you mentioned this. And so I think privacy is, is certainly a concern and we need to really take this very seriously. I mean, we've been dealing with concerns about privacy and how to protect privacy for quite some time. And there are very clear guidelines and protocols in place to really ensure that the privacy is protected of the study participants. I do envision that this will also then be brought into place for these large cohorts which are getting established so that we can ensure participants that their privacy is protected. Dr. Jeffrey Whittle. As we gather more data about individuals into their medical records, then the ability to learn more about them is clearly available. And so I think that these people who are very concerned about their privacy are not unreasonable to worry about how much people will know about them. So I think that an important thing for people like the medical community, the people from the NIH, is to acknowledge that this is a legitimate concern. Most people are going to gradually understand more and more about precision medicine. And I think that as they gain a better understanding about what's being done to protect privacy and about what can be gained from the additional data available with precision medicine, I think more and more people will accept it. Next, we asked each of our guests what people in our community who already embrace precision medicine can do to help facilitate its ongoing public acceptance and growth. Dr. Burkell. That is really a great question. So, you know, we're really just in the beginning of this push towards precision medicine. And so there's this large cohort which will be established. So it's not really clear yet where the recruitment will happen. So this will be basically fleshed out over the coming year. Let me mention that the increase in funding for NIH has been a really important step. And I personally think we at our institution are really well positioned to contribute significantly to some of these initiatives which are developing over the next few years. And I would think that as we see patients come to our hospitals. Some patients might be asked to participate in clinical trials or participate in these studies. And really, precision medicine starts with patients and individuals participating in research. Dr. White. Talking to your neighbor and talking to groups and having discussions about this is certainly a grassroots way of developing understanding. Our Clinical and Translational Science Institute moves forward with studies of personalized medicine, which we're working hard to do, having workshops and trying to educate people about what it is and what it isn't, and letting people make individual decisions about whether they want to participate in this or not is, is going to be important. Dr. Whittle. 
first and I guess most obviously is to stay informed and learn as much as they can about the Precision Medicine Initiative. The NIH has made a website that's very user-friendly for the general public about the Precision Medicine Initiative. So to find out more about it, you can go ahead and look at a lot of uh, resources online through the NIH and I'm sure that you'll provide us with a URL in the course of the show. The other thing that they can do is to volunteer for the cohort. That's something they can do if they really are fascinated by the topic as I'm sure many of your listeners are. That website, www.nih.gov forward slash precision medicine. We'll give it to you again before the end of the show so you can be prepared to write it down. We wish to thank each of our guests for joining us and sharing their insights and perspectives. Dr. Ulrich Brickell, Professor of Pediatrics and Chief Section of Genomic Pediatrics at Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Jeffrey Whittle, Doctor of Internal Medicine at Zablocki VA and Professor at Medical College of Wisconsin. And Dr. Gilbert White, Executive Vice President for Research at Blood Center of Wisconsin and Professor at Medical College of Wisconsin. Finally, after all you've heard, if you still need proof that precision medicine really works, you need not look any further than our own community for a groundbreaking medical first that made national and international headlines. Back in 2011, a young Wisconsin boy suffering from an intestinal ailment had doctors stumped until doctors at the Medical College of Wisconsin and Children's Hospital did something uncommon and unproven. They sequenced the boy's DNA. The result? Let's listen as Dr. Francis Collins, director of the NIH, tells the story in testimony to a U.S. Senate subcommittee. And unlike earlier in the show when Dr. Collins presented a hypothetical case, this one is very real and remarkable. Meet Nick Volker, a brave boy from Monona, Wisconsin. Starting about the age of two, Nick developed a mysterious life-threatening disease that ravaged his body, making it impossible for him to eat normally and causing unimaginable pain and suffering. At a loss to explain Nick's terrible affliction, researchers at the Medical College of Wisconsin decided to sequence Nick's DNA instruction book, hoping to find an answer. After exacting work over several months, the researchers identified a misspelling of just one single letter in a little study gene called XIAP. Now glitches in this gene have been associated with rare blood disorders, but not with intestinal symptoms. Based on this new insight, the research team had an idea that as with the rare blood disorders, Nick's disease might be curable with a bone marrow transplant. Transplantation of cord blood cells from a matched donor occurred, although Nick is still receiving some immunosuppressant drugs to prevent rejection of the donated cells, his symptoms have largely disappeared. Nick has given us all a glimpse of the future. Talk about discoveries. The first successful genome sequencing in the world that saved a life, and it happened right here at Children's Hospital and the Medical College of Wisconsin. The right treatment for the right person at the right time. That's precision medicine. I'm really happy that uh, the Medical College and the Blood Center and the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeastern Wisconsin is working hard to be a part of those studies so that we can bring that cutting-edge technology to the Milwaukee area and beyond. I think that's what clinical trials are important for, is to give our citizens the opportunity to participate in studies that can benefit their health, and that's one of the the primary goals of the CTSI is to do that. 
that's all for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. But before we go, as promised, I want to give you that website mentioned earlier in the program. If you are interested in learning more about the National Institutes of Health and the Precision Medicine Initiative, and to learn more about the possibility of participating in the PMI National Database of Volunteers, please visit www.nih.gov forward slash precision medicine. Again, that's nih.gov forward slash precision medicine. I hope you've enjoyed this show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of each month, so make an appointment on your calendar to join us for every episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute and all of our affiliate institutions and members, this is Brian Bellmer wishing you happy, healthy days ahead. For more information about research, your health, or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. And be sure to share your knowledge of this show and the CTSI with your family and friends. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, co-produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer. Engineered and co-produced by Tom Crawford and Jeremy Kuzniar in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.